Um, this is what I like to call my told you so dance. I told you so, I told you so, I, I, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so, I, I, I told you so. Good morning and welcome to episode 191 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller and with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you doing? I am well. How was your trip? It was okay. What did you guys talk about? Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, we talked about... So You have not caught up on the podcast yet is what you're telling me. I'm still yes. I'm still listening to them in order. I'm still at like episode ninety four. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so I'll get I'll get there. Well, we talked about Chad Billingsley and elbow injuries with Corey Dawkins, and we talked about the Mariners and uh, and Brendan Ryan being benched um, with Paul Spore. And then on Friday, I talked to Will Woods about the Mets and Ike Davis and whether there are any prospects that you would trade straight up or that you wouldn't trade straight up for Stanton. Like a single prospect, yes. any one prospect? Yes. We were uh-huh. riffing on a, on a note in a, in a Jason Stark article where he, yeah. Yeah. He, the, the Mets, the Wheeler yes. and, and Darno right. and the GM, GM who said it'd be, mm-hmm. he would, it he was, wouldn't yeah, give it was up just, one of them. It was he an NL exec. For Stanton. NL yeah. exec. It's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, I wrote that piece about six months ago about the, I don't know, it wasn't even six months ago, it was maybe four months ago, about the GMs that Jerry mm-hmm. Krasnick talks to every offseason who who make predictions mm-hmm. for him on, on who's going to sign where and, and who's like a better, who's a better player between, you know, two sort of similar free agents yep. and found that they have like a, like almost exactly a 50% success rate in predicting things that should be coin flips. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what that says because I, I do assume the GMs are smarter than us. And yet, um, there's something about asking people to make predictions that makes them, uh, I don't know, so wrong. I don't know if they're sabotaging themselves or what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if a, I mean, if a GM tells you something, if a GM is quoted in the media as saying something, well, for one thing, there's a huge bias toward, only the the craziest GMs getting reported or right. or execs getting reported. I mean, mm-hmm. Jason Stark presumably didn't call twenty nine other guys asking. <laughs> yes, we mentioned and, that he may have emailed thirty people and they all said something completely reasonable, and then that one guy yeah. didn't or one the, person yeah. didn't. So that's the one he reported. Exactly. There's always a scout who will tell you that Unieski Betancourt <laughs> has better tools than Troy Tulowitzki, and he's going to break out this year. I mean, you can always find one. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was crazy. And you wonder why that exec said that it's hard to imagine. I mean, it's gotta be a philosophical thing, right? That guy just must have some weird idea about, uh, player value or something. Cause otherwise, yeah. So what do you want to talk about today? Uh, last place Toronto Blue Jays. And I'll talk about, um, Justin Upton. Okay. I thought we should update people on Casper Wells. We should probably have a, a Casper Wells transaction of the day. Uh-huh. Uh, so he was... A Casper Wells transaction tumbler? <laughs> yeah. So he was designated for assignment by the A's. And I think the last time we recorded, I guess it was, we were, we talked about how the Blue Jays had traded him to the A's. Now he is he is des- designated for assignment from the A's. So He, he played, though. Didn't he play a game for them? Uh, I could have sworn uh, maybe he did. Yeah, he did. He played three games and got five plate appearances. Well, so he, no more. he they actually used him. He went over five with a strikeout. That was all they needed to see. That's crazy, crazy. <laughs> I mean, what could they have? 
What could they have seen? I don't know. It wasn't. I, I mean, it, was it just it a must be. temporary roster need or something? I, I don't know. Well, if it, it might be now. It might be. It might be a forty-man thing. They need the forty-man spot now. Mm. I don't know. I haven't looked. But that's that's crazy. Now I'm starting to feel bad for the guy. <laughs> so that's that's three orgs in the last uh, yeah. three weeks or so, and a total of five plate appearances. And uh, in fact, a total of five plate appearances. Total, no minor league play this year so far. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see where he ends up next. I'm sure it will be somewhere. And another update on a player of interest to podcast people, Kevin Correa. Still still doing crazy Kevin Correa things. Uh, he he went eight eight shutout innings today, uh, Sunday. Uh, so he has now he has a two point two three ERA in five starts and 36 and a third innings. Uh, and I was watching Quick Pitch on MLB Network, just the, the highlight show, and they described Kevin Correa as dominant and on fire. Is this going to be a clips show? We're just going to talk about, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to review, we're going to sort of <laughs> yeah, fade off right, into blurry memories of previous yeah, podcasts? Normally you would do that on a milestone show. We should have saved that for 200, and we could just have clips from... from prior shows but so yeah so tell me about the tell me about the toronto blue jays ben okay uh i don't have that much to say about them except that uh they have have not been good so far uh they just got swept by the yankees in i think it was a four game series um so they have struggled and we're getting to the the point of the season where that starts to mean something i mean i mean the longer the season goes on obviously and the worse your start is the more it means um but i i just kind of think back to a series that uh randy Gisarelli did at bp some years ago um in which he kind of looked at when a and it was it was actually like 10 years ago uh and he looked at kind of when a a hot start or a slow start starts to really mean something when you should really start to to believe in it because that was the year that the Royals started out well. Um, And he kind of, he picked 30 games as the the cutoff kind of for when you should, I I mean, he said that sort of certain thresholds of of games played or record kind of had more predictive value than than others, that it wasn't just a, a smooth a smooth climb to predictiveness the more games you play. And I think Jay Jaffe looked at it just a couple of years ago and, and the results had held pretty pretty steady up until then. So so the Jays are now they're not quite at that thirty game mark, but they are nine and seventeen. Um, well even if even if there's there's four games left, even if they win the next four games, yes, they will still they're thirteen and seventeen and right. they they would pass whatever threshold for sucking right. through thirty. Uh yeah. And I, I mean, before before Sunday's loss, their playoff odds were down to I think eight point nine percent, and and they started a little below thirty, which I think most people, myself included, thought seemed a little a little low. Um, but Pakota wasn't a wasn't really a huge believer in the Blue Jays, and. And now you probably figure they're—I don't know—they lost another game to a division rival, so they're probably not too much above five percent now as we as we get to the end of April. And 
and you figured that it would be a, a close division. It's it's always seemed like it would be a division that kind of came down to the end, and every team is kind of good, or you can make an argument that they could be kind of good, and and the Blue Jays have started much worse than any other team in that division. They've started worse than every other team except the Astros and Marlins, actually. Uh, and so even if they are as good from from here on out as a lot of people expected them to be um they could they could still kind of be in in such a deep hole now if if every other team in the division is is competent that they might not be able to climb out of it yeah so what uh does the division help them or hurt them do you think i mean the on the one hand uh they're going to basically have to play hard teams for the rest of the season and also uh the odds are that of the four quality teams ahead of them uh, probably one will vastly outplay their potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know, if there's four teams, you only need one to vastly outplay their potential to to run away with the division. But on the other hand, um, the their opponents are going to be beating up on each other a lot. And if they could somehow, uh, you know, time it perfectly, where a lot of their wins from this point on come against division rivals, they could be making up a lot of ground while. Uh, a lot of other teams are splitting three games. Well, you can't split, but you know what I mean. Splitting mm-hmm. a you know a home and road series against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, I guess the question is, is it better to be in this situation because 86, 87 might win in a sort of packed parity division, or is it worse because uh, you know the they've got four yeah, very I, good teams to make up ground on? I don't know. I mean, later in the season. Wow. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I hate autoplay on websites. Um, <laughs> what website were you going that to? Was, Sports? That was ESPN. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. When it's later in the season, certainly you you don't like to see a lot of teams ahead of you that you kind of have right. to climb over at this point in the season. Uh, I don't know. Probably still that, but I see what you're saying. So to to let's say they need eighty eight to uh, to win this, so they would need to go uh, eighty eight and seventy four. So they would they would need to go seventy nine and fifty seven uh, <laughs> against this division. Uh, so that's seventy nine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, hang on, I'm doing some math. Are you looking for uh, they would need five eighty one. 581, yeah. So they would basically need to win at a 94-win clip uh, for the rest of the season in order to reach 80... What did I say? 88? Yeah. That's tough. uh, That is tough. I didn't have them win in 94 when the season started. I had them win in like 88. And I was a lot more optimistic on them than the computer. Yeah. And, of course, Reyes is hurt. And Josh Johnson was scratched from his last start. So let's say they finish... uh, I mean, like, basically what we're talking about right now so far, I mean, I'm not, I'm not writing off the blue days, but what we're talking about right now is almost exactly what the Marlins did last year. And they, you know, went and bought everybody became a a very, uh, uh, rational pick to, to go from the bottom of the division to the top. Mm -hmm. Um, they were terrible in April. They never got good. They sold off a bunch of parts and, um, baseball in Florida was dead forever. Do you think there's long-term consequences to this if the Blue Jays finish um, somehow in last place this year? Yeah, I don't know. I was going to ask what you thought the, the narrative would be around this. I mean, it's too early to say, but if, if that were to happen, 
how would how would the mainstream people explain it? I, John Farrell, man, John Farrell is going to come out of this looking <laughs> really good. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, there would have to be some sort of consequences because this is we did a we did a an episode I think towards the end of last season or over the off season about kind of how the the honeymoon period seemed to be over for Alex Anthopoulos. Like there were there were some people who were getting a little impatient with him or there was I don't remember what the impetus was. There was some article or, or some local Toronto broadcaster or something was kind of talking about how he'd been there for a few years and they hadn't won anything yet and and yeah, I mean this was kind of the off season where he went from tinkering and from making little moves to strengthen the organization and everything to to kind of trading from the strength that he had built up and all the the prospects that he had acquired and making a run for it and if that run were to backfire spectacularly um which we're not saying that it will but if it were to happen then i don't know maybe Maybe his job is in danger. Maybe Blue Jays fans are so disillusioned that they don't come back for a while. I don't know. Have you looked at their uh, pitching stats recently? Nope. Their start, this is their rotation. Uh, their, their, Dickie, their run differential, by the way, is, is exactly uh, is exactly what you would expect. Uh-huh. They're, they're right on that. So Dickey, 4.66 ERA. Burley, 6.35. Morrow, 5.27. Josh Johnson, 686. The only pitcher worth a darn in that rotation so far is Jay Happ. Uh, the other four the are guy combined. Who, like, didn't seem to have a, a rotation spot in the spring. Right. So the other four are basically just a little bit below six combined. And that's a, it's supposed to be a really good rotation. I mean, in a way, uh, what you're seeing right now is what happened to the Angels last year, where uh, they have a really what should be a really good rotation, um, completely misfiring all at once, and uh, it's hard to predict that. Uh, I wonder if uh, I wonder if um, uh, I don't I don't really know I don't I don't really know what what his reputation is in Toronto. So this might just be like the convenient national narrative. But Brett Lawry seems like a kind of a kind of a tough guy to get along with, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if uh, if he. If they lose, if they disappoint this season, I wonder if if this ends up being at all about him. And um, I also, because he's not playing very well, he's uh, not playing well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I wonder if he, if they sort of did go into any sort of fire sale this summer. Uh, you know, Lowry wouldn't be the kind of guy who you would expect to get moved. But if he were available in trade right now, I wonder what sort of package he'd bring back. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have the sense that he's pretty popular there, but um, uh-huh. but he is certainly very intense. So I guess maybe that doesn't play so well on a losing team. He's on a he's on a Gordon Beckham trajectory right now. Yeah, well that's that's a that's an extreme trajectory. I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't expect that to continue. I I mean I liked him too entering the season. Beckham or Laurie? Uh Laurie. Yeah. So you you've noticed that I've mispronounced Lowry's name six times. I don't know. Maybe I have. I let's see. Let's see. <laughs> oh my goodness, he's not. They don't actually have a pronunciation. Because it's so obvious. Of, what it should the be, one that we've been. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I think it's Lowry. I think I've. I think I've known that I've been mispronouncing it for years, and I've never adjusted. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to get Robin Yount. 
Yeah. What did you you said? What did you say? Yunt. Uh, y- yunt. Yunt. Yeah. Yeah, I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you you mispronounce things, something one time as a child, and and it just becomes so ingrained, and then you realize as an adult that you've been doing it the whole time. Uh huh. Yeah, or just doing things wrong. Like you just realize <laughs> that you have personal flaws that were never addressed <laughs> when you were six. Yeah. I have a lot of those. Mm-hmm. I was at a. Well, no, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I was at a BP event, yeah, uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Stadium event. It was really fun, mm-hmm. and I was carrying two bags of of Cracker Jack that were like they were just on the table. They were free, and I was walking into the the game, and uh, and one of them fell out of my pocket, and I didn't know it fell out of my pocket. And a guy came over, picked it up, and brought it to me. Very nice, very friendly, <laughs> and I was kind of flustered. I'm always flustered in social situations. I don't know what I'm doing. I uh, I have a combination of like way too much filter and no filter, and so it just my my head gets all like kind of cloudy, and I I I'm I, I, I I'm not good. I do poorly, and so he gives me the Cracker Jack, and I say something like, "That's not something I want." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I, I mean, he was so nice, and I did not. It's not like I was actually thinking like was like it someone right at now, the I, event. It was, yeah. Oh, and it was such he's a not terrible renew thing. His subscription. It, it was not. It was not only was it a terrible thing, but it was like a. It was just me mangling words. It was just like I didn't. I wasn't intending to get that across, like that dismissive thing across. I don't know what I was trying to say, but I was trying. Like I was. I think I was trying to make fun of myself for grabbing Cracker Jack that I didn't want. That's what it was. Is I, I had grabbed like a big handful of Cracker Jack that I had no intention of eating, and I was embarrassed that they were falling off me, like <laughs> like like stench off a hobo, <laughs> and. And so I was just trying to kind of mock myself for leaving a trail of Cracker Jack, and I mm-hmm. totally mangled it. And for the rest of the evening, I was thinking, like, do I need to address this? <laughs> so, I mean, if anybody saw it, just please don't. Please, that, that's not me. Would you like to apologize to, to the man who picked up your Cracker Jack if he's listening? I feel, I feel like I'm doing that. Yeah, Aren't I, I, doing I guess that? so. Yeah. All right. So Justin Upton, uh, I can... I think I can do this fairly quickly because I don't have much to say about it. But um, it, Justin Upton, of course, is having a, a huge start to the season. And I've noticed a um, – I, I think – and I don't want to put this in a, in a negative way. I'm not trying to create a straw man or anything. But I, I feel like I've noticed a little bit of a, of a celebratory um, aspect to um, some of the people I follow on Twitter who mm. ripped the move at the time and yes. are now – kind of saying like, God, oh, can you believe they made that trade? It looks even worse now and, and so on and so forth. And and, and I just want to know if you um, think that it's fair. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to, to start from a position that it's like obviously not fair, but do you think it's fair to, to, to I mean, given how much of the narrative around Justin Upton was change of scenery, immense talent, going to explode if he... Uh, gets in a position where he's appreciated, and then sure enough, he's doing it. Is this enough? Uh, do you think to conclude that the Diamondbacks made a mistake? And uh, is it fair? To, is it fair to be? I mean, I know that normally you don't, you, you know, confirmation bias and, and April stats and small samples mm-hmm. and all that. But is is there any is, is there any part of this that you think is an exception? Uh, yeah. Well, I've I've seen that too. I mean, I've seen the odd the odd tweet about how Martin Prado is hitting in in comparison to Upton, uh, which is which is not well. Um, I guess 
I mean, I didn't, I didn't like the trade either, or or the, or especially the the lead up to the trade, which we've talked about, and how it seemed like they sort of went out of their way almost to to deflate his value before trading him. Um, I, I mean, I guess in the sense that. Uh, I don't know that that the concern about Upton was that he didn't hit for as much power as anticipated last year, and he had the I don't know the the wrist or the finger issue or whatever it was, and and so there was kind of a a sense that he had underperformed, but there was also a competing sense that it was just a an injury thing and that his power would be back this season, uh, which clearly it is. I guess it's it's not too soon to say that that Justin Upton's power is 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 I mean uh, you don't see a lot of players hit 12 home runs in a month in any month of the season uh, especially April I guess so I don't know I mean I guess if you didn't like the trade before it, I guess it's legitimate to to say it looks a little bit worse now um, I mean I don't know that. I guess ideally you're you're judging a, a trade by what you know at the time, uh, and so if you want to be really strict about that, then you just kind of stop judging the trade after after it happens, right? I mean, and then nothing nothing that takes place after that has any bearing on on how you think the trade was. Yeah, that's always been my philosophy, and particularly when it comes to prospects who hit or miss, it, it just seems like uh, it's completely unfair to think that you have any any extra insight into prospects and which ones are likely to pan out than the conventional wisdom. Upton's not a prospect, though, of course. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I probably it's best. I think it probably it's best that. Um, that nobody who talks or writes about baseball for a living ever pats themselves on the back or, or even alludes to, to, to patting themselves on the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, I think we're all fairly honest about our limitations, um, when it comes to predicting baseball. Um, most people I follow, I feel like are fairly humble about that. Uh, and it just, it's, uh, Sometimes that humility uh, gets a, a little bit lost when you're excited about something you said being true. I, I remember, uh, you know, when you hear reporters asked about, you know, whether they still root for a team, they always say, no, no, I, I only root, you know, writers only root for stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, when I switched over from being a fan to writing about baseball. What I found is actually that you root for all your predictions to come true mm-hmm. uh, because you're just so embarrassed of the ones that don't come <laughs> true, especially at first. Well, now we've you, we've just about stopped making them to the extent that we can. We have, yeah. Although even still, if I say some, if I if I write a if I write a piece about somebody um, for a few months, yeah. I, I'm really kind of hoping that they don't like collapse mm-hmm. uh, completely mm-hmm. because it, it's sort of embarrassing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't know. I, I, first off, I, I think that even if this trade is going, you know, it's, it's going exactly the way Atlanta obviously wanted. Um, but I don't know that it's necessarily fair to then t- uh, take that the next step and say that the Diamondbacks now regret it extra lot. I mean, I think the Diamondbacks came to the conclusion that, that probably wasn't going to happen when he was in Arizona for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. There was there was something about the situation that they were unlikely to reap that. 
and I think they were happy to get the guys that they got. They would have been more happy to get the guys that they would have gotten from Seattle, and they probably would have liked to get more from other teams. But, I mean, we, we have to basically assume that um, they had, you know, that they got the best offer that they could get and that they figured that Justin Upton, even if you risk the embarrassment of him doing this somewhere else, uh, that he was unlikely to do that for them. And it's hard to prove that they're wrong. It's awfully hard for them to prove that they're right. Um, but that's kind of the nature of the beast. Um, and the other thing is that, uh, I mean, Chris Johnson's hitting 380, <laughs> 405, 535 right now, right. which should put a lot of this into perspective. I mean, I heard what actually got me thinking about this was when I heard some announcer yesterday talking about the trade and like, can you believe that they got a, an awesome three hitter and an awesome five hitter or four hitter, wherever Chris Johnson was batting yesterday. And I thought, well, I mean, if you're using Chris Johnson as any sort of evidence in this, mm-hmm. um, it should pretty much tell you what you're doing. Um, nobody, I don't think nobody I follow would be saying, can you believe the Diamondbacks gave up Chris Johnson no. uh, at this point in the season? And, you know, there's a big element of that with Upton, too. I mean, Upton has had months like this in his career, not not for home runs specifically, but he's had, you know, five or six months where he's been essentially this productive at the plate. And uh, those months sometimes dissipate. Um, So it's not like it's any sort of lock that he's going to be an MVP for the next three years. But yeah, clearly the Braves were happy that they got him. And congratulations to them. They got the guy they wanted and he's performing. And the Diamondbacks didn't want him. And, uh, you know, they're doing kind of okay too. Last I checked. Doing just fine. Yeah. What are they in like second place? I think they're tied for first. Yeah. So. You know, bless everybody's hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big day for winners. Wanted to write about change of scenery, guys, once, and it was just such a headache to like mm-hmm. trying to come up with guys who were change of scenery candidates and and look at how they did after their changes of scenery. It was kind of impossible, but I would like to see some sort of study on that if there were any kind of way to do it scientifically. Well, I'll tell you what, BJ Upton's hitting 151, 229, 291 right now, and yes. I would bet, I would bet, I would be happy to bet anybody that there is at least one month this season that he has a higher OPS than his brother. Seems reasonable. And if that month happened to be April, then we'd be saying a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's end it. Okay. You end See it. See uh, It's the end of the show. <laughs> um, yeah. Email us, podcast at, at baseballperspectus.com. That's the end of the show.